I think about you as a congregation every day. Sometimes I lie awake at night asking what kind of church would be able to transform the spiritual geography and landscape of our city and change the eternal destiny of thousands and thousands of people. Dear God, what can BCBC become so that you can do that? And very simply, there needs to be nothing short of a revolution of the heart. And this revolution doesn't come from cute slogans, better promotion, slick advertising. It seems to me that people really don't need more programs. They don't want more activities. More than anything, they're simply looking for a people and a place that will love them. The people there don't need to be super spiritual. In fact, it's probably better if we're not. We don't have to pretend that we've got it all together because honestly we don't. We need to be honest and real. Accepting, forgiving and loving. And we need to love one another. So I'd like you to think deeply about this for the next 25 to 30 minutes. There are some passages in the scriptures that are just so beautiful that sermons, no matter how articulate they may be, simply cannot add to their meaning. The best we can ever hope for is to ask that our stumbling words and our clumsy explanations do not take away from their depth or diminish their beauty. So this morning I'm going to ask you to turn and however you track with me to 1 John chapter 4, start at verse 7. And in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand as we read together. And I'll tell you almost anything we say about this passage will be clumsy and inadequate. So please stand. 1 John chapter 4. That we would just stand before God's word as I read it this morning. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He gives us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. (laughs) The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Father, this morning, may you bring that word in an absolutely new and fresh way. 
into our hearts and into our lives together. We humbly ask this. Amen. You are probably familiar with this unique word for love in the Bible, agape. You know in that passage that we just read, it's used 28 times. And so it is impressed upon me that God is wanting us to build what I call an agape church. I made the word up. An agape church is a church that operates and moves and lives in love. Remember what Jesus said one day um, in a room to a group of his followers in the shadow of the cross? Remember Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, by this all men, all people will know that you are my disciples, and that you love one another. And Jesus is saying there that God has given the world, He's given the city of Vancouver, the right to look at the church. He's given them the right to look at DCBC. And to come to a conclusion about the authenticity of our belief and our faith. God is saying to this neighborhood, I'm giving you permission to look at this church. And on the basis of what you see, you can tell whether or not they are really my followers. And the criteria is not how high they raise their hands. It's not how they dress. It's not which countries have come from, what their faces look like. It's not what the worship music is like, whether it's traditional or the sing off the wall. It's not how they organize as a church. The criteria, the standard, the measuring stick is simply this. How do they do in the area of loving one another? We could sit down with our leadership team and our board and we could brainstorm a dozen different programs and ways in this neighborhood and city to try to bring people to Christ. We could create a dozen more activities, design brochures and new styles of worship. Some of these might work and some of them, frankly, might not. But God laid before us this morning a very simple way to transform the church and to transform the city, and it's simply this. We have to grow in loving one another. I think a lot of what we call love isn't really love at all. It's sentiment. It's fuzzy feelings. But it's not agape love, the love that comes from God. And if we're honest, the human heart, frankly, is a pretty small gas tank. And when we try to go too many miles on the road, we simply run out of love pretty fast. So where do we start? Let me take you very simply through this passage. The heart of the passage lies in the fact that everything we want to do in love begins with God. We are reminded several times the passage says to us, God is love. And this is how God loved us. The origin of love, the meaning of life, starts outside of ourselves. It starts outside of our universe. It starts in the nature, in the nature, the essence of God. John simply says to us, God is love. And when we would slow down and think about that for just a moment, we're still in a moment of realization about how God acts and feels towards everything. When we look into his heart, we see love. When God creates, he creates in love. When he rules, he rules in love. When he judges, he judges in love. When he disciplines, he disciplines in love. When God provides, he provides in love. He cannot do anything else because love is his nature. Jesus knew the secret of how to love people. He says to his disciples in John chapter 15, if you remember, he says, as the Father has loved me. And that was his secret. 
He says, as the Father who loved me, Jesus never operated independently of God's Father. He said his food, his strength, his stamina, what nurtured him, he says, was to do the Father's will. And Jesus lived simply under the umbrella of the Father's love, and he knew that as the Father loved him, so his love for others was the reproduction of the love of the Father. Have you ever been to a wedding reception in one of these really nice hotels, fancy hotels? And they have a fountain that's made up of old wine glasses. You know the one? You get a, and they're all very carefully stacked. You've seen those? And as wine or champagne or whatever um, flows from the top, and it flows down, and slowly each row of glasses is filled up, and they overflow to the next. So the love of the Father flows into the Son. And the love of the Son flows into the hearts of His disciples. And from there is to flow into each one of us. And when we find ourselves genuinely hungry for the work of God in our lives, the place to begin is to move from some shallow sentimentalism about love into the depths of the love of the Father for us. Jesus says to us, this is how God shows His love toward us. He sent His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God has made visible His love towards us in the ultimate way on the cross. The cross is where God set His price high in holiness. He set it high, way, way up high. And it's also where He paid the bill. The cross is where we lay down our pride. The cross is where we come to give up our ego. The cross is where we need to give up the need to be right. The cross is where we lay down our excuses. The cross is where we leave behind our explanations. The cross is where we abandon our defensiveness. The cross is where we give up our side of the story. The cross is where we surrender our pride. The cross is where we yield our arrogance. And so if we truly want to love someone, we need to visit the cross just by ourselves and lay down our pride, lay down our need to be right, let go of our own junk. And frankly, that is not easy for many of us. But that is what we do starting at the cross to love one another. The only person you know we can ever change in life is ourselves. We don't marry people to change them. We don't change our children. We only can change ourselves. And the heart change that most of us need is to be embraced, embraced and immersed in the love of the Father. As the Father loves me, so I can love you. Love always works in relationships. And that's why John says in verse 20, if, we, if we, we cannot say we love God, but at the same time hate our brother and sister, because love always works in relationships. A couple of things. An agopic church, a church that operates in love, will always find practical ways to love. John says, dear friends, let us love one another one another because love comes from God verse 18 dear children let us not love with words or tongue but in actions and in truth you know one of the most basic ways we communicate love is simply to tell we do that to our children these new parents today do that to all of us it's to find words to communicate how we feel children graduate from school and we need to tell them we love them and we're proud of them 
And God uses words to communicate love. At the baptism of His Son, He says, The heavens opened, and He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He's saying from heaven, I love you, Jesus, for what you just did. It's God saying that He was proud as He watched His Son. I have a deep sense that we do not use enough words of love in our marriages, or in our family to our children, or at church. I don't think we use enough words to tell love. I don't know what holds us back. But love is being denied. And John says love may start with words, but love has to do much more. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Love is always thought moves into action. Words turn into deeds. The invisible make visible. The unseen becomes seen in love. Love is the risk of giving away something of ourselves. And facing the potential of having what we started with. And unless we're willing to risk that, we are not loving. However, in the mysterious economics of love, when we risk the sacrifice of love, we do not end up with less. We actually end up with more. So let me ask you simply, is there someone here this morning towards whom you need to express words of love, words of encouragement, Words of affirmation, words of thankfulness, and then beyond that, to make love a verb. You know, you don't need committees to do that. You don't need a budget to do that. You don't need to ask anybody's permission. You've got permission from the Spirit and the Word of God. An agopic church looks for ways to practice love. It loves in words and in deeds. An agopic church always refuses to operate from fear. We simply say when you walk into these doors, you will not find fear in any place. But rather it builds confidence in people. John says there is no fear in love. I think it's tragic that some people in life are paralyzed to move ahead because they are afraid they might fail. And the fear, the fear of failure brings them to a standstill. Remember Jesus told what we call the parable of the talents. He gives one person ten talents, and he goes away and works hard and and multiplies them. He gives somebody else five talents, two talents. They go away and they work hard and they multiply them. And he gives a person just one talent, and he buries it in the ground. And when it's time to report back in, he brings his one talent. Now, to be fair, he hadn't lost anything. He hadn't squandered it in the casino. He hadn't done anything stupid with it. He said, you give me one talent, there's one talent back. Master says, what happened? Why didn't you go and put it to work like all the others? Do you remember his answer? He says, I was afraid. I was afraid. And that's the fear of failure. I think there's at least two forces in churches that kill love. Suffocated faster than anything. And I've seen them over and over again. The first one is criticism. Many people will not move into a venture. Many people will not take on a role. Many people in churches will not try something new. They will not stand up to join a board, to lead a project, if they're going to be criticized and attacked by others who are sitting on the sidelines. People will not take risks if their failures are met with, I told you so. Pastor for 43 years. And sadly, can I say to you, this hurts my heart. Churches that 
churches can breed criticism more than almost anywhere else. More than anywhere else. We have become a community of nitpickers dedicated to finding out and pointing out what is wrong with other people. We have become experts at criticism. And I am convinced that one of the reasons that churches cannot find good people today, gifted people, men and women to step into leadership, is because the people that do that know that there will be a target for criticism and complaining. They're saying to themselves, I don't need that. We need to affirm and encourage the leaders amongst us instead of criticizing them. Understand that? We need to be applauding them. We need to affirm them. We need to encourage them. We need to be thankful for them. Love does not avoid speaking the truth. But it speaks the truth in grace. People are not to be hurt and criticized. They're to be encouraged and helped. And there are times in which a critical spirit of the females of the church needs to be changed by the outpouring of the love of God. The second thing that kills churches is competition. People cannot love if they have to win. Competition denies the ability to love. You understand when we have to win, we cannot love. You remember some years ago now, a television program um, started to come on. Remember it was called Survivor? Remember Survivor? I watched a few episodes and I thought to myself, that program, I think it's still running today, that program is the absolute antithesis of the message of Christianity and the Christian church. It's the absolute antithesis of that. Because your success and your victory is gained by voting somebody else off the island. You only win at somebody else's expense. You win when somebody else loses and goes home. That breeds competition. And competition destroys the hope of community. Can you imagine a church like that? Next Sunday afternoon, we're going to have a secret meeting. And we're going to vote someone out of the church next week. Come back and find out who it is. If we want community with one another, and if we want to love one another, folks, we will need to extinguish and eradicate fear. There cannot be love in an atmosphere of fear. Community allows people to fail. And then it helps them to stand up on their feet. Love cleans up the mess and helps them to succeed the next time. Love, you see, builds an atmosphere of confidence. We all make mistakes. Pastors do too. But when there is that agape kind of love, mistakes are understood, mistakes are accepted. And whatever the problem is between us, it can be fixed and then we can move on together hand in hand and heart in heart. First Peter says, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. And an agape church, this agape loving church, always takes the initiative to love. First John says to verse 19, he just says simply, we love. we love. Because he, that's God, first loved us. Over a lot of years, we've seen people hurt each other, we've seen marriages crash and burn. 
And sometimes when you sit down with people, their reasoning is this. Well, I'm willing to meet with them, but the other person has to go first. I'm willing to talk to them, but they have to come to me. Here I am, waiting. They never showed up. And as a result, hurt stays untreated for months that become years that become decades. And simply no one is willing to move. The stalemate that leaves love is frozen. Instead of becoming a chosen people, we become a frozen people. But God's kind of agape love is willing to risk making the first move. And that, for God, between God and the cosmos, that is what creates this spiritual stalemate. But without this, we are stuck in a paralyzing deadlock. And if that's how God is to love, then he says that's how we have to love. I'll be honest with you. It's always risky to take the first move. It's always risky to break the silence. It's always risky to phone someone and try to go and meet them, to go and apologize. And silence is one of the ways today that we make people pay penance. But if there's a healing possibility, then the risk is worth it. And I realize that if we go to someone and say, I'd like to apologize to you and say I'm sorry, that may be rebuffed. But we're responsible for our initiative, not their response. And so let me ask you, is there someone here this morning towards whom you need to make the first move? Someone this week you need to phone up and say, I think it's time for you and I to have coffee. Can we meet? That's an agape move when you do that. And if we wait until we can practice this kind of love perfectly, frankly, nothing will happen. So let me suggest to you that we have to start moving in this direction and we just take some tiny little baby steps as it were. And the more we walk it out, the more we'll know it. The more we walk it out, so and so on. And this morning, I would say to you that the Spirit of God is capable of starting a tiny ripple in each one of us that could grow into and become a spiritual tsunami. A revolution that would change your small group, the church, the council, the ministry teams. It would change the pastors and every relationship here and from here into this neighborhood and from this neighborhood it would change this city. There's no new programs to promote. There's no new ideas to parade before you. The catalyst is simple. It is the plain commandment of Jesus that we're to love one another. And the world can watch that. You may remember in the book of Revelation that Jesus, as this risen, exalted son, walks amongst the candlesticks of the churches. And one of them, the church at Ephesus, is really strong in teaching and doctrine. Man, they can smell heresy a mile away. They're busy in ministry. They've got programs going seven nights of the week. The church lights are on almost all of the time. But he says this to them. I know your deeds. 
I know your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and found them to be fierce. You've persevered and you've endured hardships for my sake and my name, and you've not going to worry. In other words, they think to this church, when you could have quit and thrown in the towel, you didn't do that. You hung on and you have to be commended for all of these things. But Jesus says, I list against you. He says, you have forsaken, you have lost your first love. You know, we can fail in some things, but we cannot, and we must not fail here. This is the final apologetic. So think very seriously with me this morning. I pray every day for VCBC to morph more and more into being an agapic church where there's no criticism, there's no gossip, there's no competition, nobody's trying to get ahead of anybody else. To grow more in health and from that to grow in numbers. Because I don't think we're about church growth, I think we're about church health. And if our, if our body spiritually is healthy, the church will grow. I have a picture in my heart that between the services on Sunday morning, there are people lined up down the block waiting to get in. But, I also think that God is unwilling to trust us as a church with new baby Christians until we really learn to love one another more than we do. You see, he only trusts new baby Christians to places where there is a spiritual love. Because this is the nursery. This is the nursery where new Christians have to grow and mature. And God will only put new baby Christians into nurseries, spiritual nurseries, where it is clean and fresh and loving and caring. He only trusts his new Christians to places where there is a spirit of love, where acceptance has replaced criticism and forgiveness has replaced unresolved anger. And frankly, we do not need any more information or instruction. We do not need classes on this. Everything we know, everything we need to know, is contained within the embryo of that simple instruction that God is love. So let's love one another. Because love comes from God. That is not hard to understand. So I have thought deeply about you, particularly this last week. I've thought about why I'm here and my relationship with you. I was supposed to finish next Sunday. As you know, we don't have anyone in sight yet, so the council have asked if I would stay on to the end of the year. And I've said yes. And it's not really because I'll be traveling on the ferry back and forth every week. I don't like being away from my wife. But I said yes. Simply because God has given me a love and a care for you as a congregation, 
more than I expected to get when I first came. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Edmund, come. So I thought about what I might say to you this morning to close. And it came like this. If I were to deliver sermons with all the persuasiveness and eloquence in the world, but I did not love you, I would be no more than a talking head. If I was at every council and commission meeting about the business of the church and out every night at meetings, and if I micromanaged every detail, but I did not love you, it would mean nothing. If I poured myself into my work so that it almost killed me, but I did not love you, it would amount to nothing. And I would be bankrupt without love. So we have three things to lead us forward. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. And finally, love extravagantly. And the best of these three, the best of these three, is love. So I came to church this morning. Excited to get up and get dressed and come here. I came to church this morning with just one thing on my heart. It was to tell you. It was simply to tell you that I love you. That I love you. <laughs>